Hello and welcome to the Kit Monsters Music and Tech Voices podcast, where we talk to people at the cutting edge of creativity and innovation in some very exciting fields. I'm Terry, and today we're talking to Absent Chronicles Danny about his work in AI, in visuals, music, and a trumpet project he's got going. He's based in the Netherlands. Hello and welcome to Absent Chronicles. You're an audiovisual artist, a creative director, innovator, technologist. There's so much that you're doing, especially in the field of AI. And we're really looking forward to hearing more about your work. Thank you. Tell us, first of all, um, how did you start getting into AI in particular? It was, uh, thank you for the introduction. It was kind of a combination of curiosity and necessity. Because the whole AI thing, I mean, people have been doing AI since the 50s on a different level, but still. But um, a few years ago, it was really getting more popular. And I think also because um, people started noticing it in their daily lives, like in social media, for example. And then I figured this might actually be a really useful uh, tool when I'm making music or when I'm performing or making visuals. So I kind of started with training uh, basic AI models, and then I figured it would be really cool for art installations as well. And then a few years ago, I switched from uh, DJing to doing more of a live act. And the thing I kept running into was um, the music I'm making and the way I'm making it, it doesn't translate to a DJ performance. Like there's all this chaotic, sound design going on and then i'm just uh pushing buttons which has been great and there's great djs out there but for my music it didn't work anymore and then i started building these tools that would play with me so i didn't need to play all the instruments and all the parts and i really liked it because it felt like i was interacting uh with my tools instead of just using them so i guess that was the the start of my ai adventure yeah. Now let's unpack that a little bit because uh, yeah. for most people, I just built some tools. Um, might seem a bit of a, a, a sort of high thing to to be aiming yeah. for. And at Kit Monsters, we're all about accessibility and and trying to show people that things are within their reach. So, Definitely. had you always been a, a kind of coder, or what? How did you manage to get to the point where you could build some tools? Yeah, um, I'm I'm not the greatest coder, honestly. So therefore, AI was also really interesting to me because, of course, there's crazy coding people that can wa- build the wildest uh, AI models. But without any coding knowledge, you can start training models. Like there's software like uh, Runway. It's software where you can uh, train models to um, learn a specific skill and then develop this skill so it's really easy to get started and then of course if you want to customize things and you're going to incorporate it into your performance you'll 
need to learn a bit of coding, but it's more about learning how to incorporate this into what you're doing. And I think you can figure most of it out while watching YouTube videos. So to me, that was great because I, when I read code, I can understand it. But when I have to come up with everything, it's just too specific. So I think that's a great thing about AI. Like I said, you can, if you're good at coding, you're going to do crazy stuff. But even if you don't have any knowledge, you can still get into it. So, yeah. And the most recent project that we've seen you do is a, a project with Trumpet and AI. Does it have a name, yeah. this this tool or this project? Yeah, it's. I call it Genliact. I, I think a few years ago I had to save the project and then I was like, wow, this is generative stuff and it's reacting to something. So then it became Genliact. But it's not like a public name, it's just my working file name and I adopted it so yeah yeah and how did that come about and what did it take because you were um interviewed by a, a tv program as part of the uh, was it dutch design week yeah yeah dutch design week and then yeah. you performed on the tv with this project yeah yeah it was actually i i built it uh three years ago when i was just getting into visuals because i was asked to do a vj gig and I didn't have any experience with it and I didn't want to download a bunch of people loops and then VJ them on the spot. So I figured maybe I need to build something that reacts to uh, audio. So it was a really basic version of what I have now. And I tried it out. This uh, DJ had a gig and we just plugged his output into my laptop and I built it in a way that it would automatically generate material based upon frequencies. And then there were some parameters I could change or modify on the spot. And then with the Dutch design week, it was a really busy week. And then a day and a half before the performance, they called me like, yeah, this artist uh, dropped out and we need something. Would you be able to do something? And at first I thought they wanted me to DJ or so I was like, yeah, fine, I can play something on TV. But then I heard it was like this talk show and I had three minutes to perform something. So there was a bit of panic. And then I thought about the the thing I built for the, for the DJ gig. And um, I don't know, I spent like a day uh, transforming it into something new. So instead of just reacting to audio and generating visuals, uh, I trained it in a way that it would um, react uh, on the trumpet playing as well. So to make it really simple, um, I I knew uh, beforehand I wanted to do something like this. It needs to be three minutes. I want there to be a bass drop somewhere and then all the other stuff is just going to be the AI tool generating material. So I trained it for a day with a lot of different sounds I'm using and also to teach uh, the machine how my music develops in time. And then it was kind of a yeah, lucky, lucky hit. It worked. So then the other, yeah, other day I tried using it, performing with it. And uh, yeah, that's basically the basic version, right? It's, it's been a few months, so it's developed a bit more now, but uh, that's kind of how it works. Yeah. 
Well, this seems a great moment to hear a clip of some of your music. Yeah. So let's dive in. Well, that was brilliant to hear. And I'm really curious. I mean, how do you train an AI? Yeah, so there's there's different uh, different ways. Like I said, there's a software like Runway where you just um, choose a medium. So if you're working with audio, select audio. If you're working with video, select video. And then by giving it a massive amount of input, it just works on the material and trains itself like if in every video there's a lot of red colors in the color grading it knows if i'm going to produce new material it kind of needs to look like this so that's like it's easy to use but that's the more advanced way of using ai for stuff like this but uh, for these performances i'm using a lower level of intelligence because i'm always a bit scared that if it's too much uh, maybe in the performance, it's gonna do some weird stuff and I'm not gonna be able to control it. So what I do is um, when I first started, I just cut my music into pieces and then fed the machine with a lot of material and then it just keep processing, processing, processing. And then for example, I use quite a lot of distortion. That's just the way my music tends to work. So then after a while, the system knows, all right, between this and this minute, we'll need some distortion somewhere. And we're probably going to do it whenever there's a massive bass hit. And the, the difficult thing with it is, uh, for example, with the distortion, if you process this data a thousand times, it's kind of going to know what my music sounds like and it could recreate my music. But if you process it a uh, hundred thousand times, it's going to notice the distortion and then in the next cycling process there's going to be more distortion and in the end there's just distortion because this element just stands out and therefore i'm using a lower form of intelligence just to make sure it's not thinking too much so i want to keep it a bit basic and i've also have a built-in kill switch so if anything would get out of hand in terms of for example the distortion then i can just Cut it on the spot but that's kind of how it works just putting a lot of data in there and then training the machine to recognize um, things and after that it's uh, programming the system so that it can actually interact with what you're doing so it really depends for the trumpet i use a timbre is it an english word timbre yes yeah. yeah 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 in in the netherlands we have the same and uh, velocity, stuff like that. So it knows whenever it sounds kind of like this, I can use these elements, I can't use these elements. So it's really basic form of training and then you can go as crazy as you want, but yeah. I think it's fascinating to hear you talk about the, um, you know, the kill switch and the, the sort of low uh, level kind of use of it. Um, so you've found some very concrete 
ways to rein it in when necessary. Because, of course, um, when people think about AI, both music and in general terms, there's always a lot of concern there about it taking over. Um, yeah. Where where do you see the things going at the moment with artists and AI, whether in performance or recorded music? I think mainly in uh, recorded music, it's going to be really interesting. And I also hear a lot of people uh, being scared of what's going to happen because it's not being used that much. I mean, you're, I'm not aware of it. I don't think you're listening to any songs on the radio that are generated by AI purely. But the technical developments, they've been crazy over the past few years. So I think they could pull it off right now. And I don't think it's going to be like you press a button and it's going to generate a hit song and you're going to sign it to a record label. But I've seen some companies that are in the early stages of developing systems where you can upload your music and then it's going to tell you in a really detailed uh, report, like maybe you should leave this out and at 10 seconds you should add this and then you should change to this key. I've I've tried it once. I'm, I forgot the name of the company that had this better version where you just upload your music and then the AI is going to analyze it. And there's there's also AI radios where you can listen to an infinite hours of metal music or dance music that's AI generated, but it's all still a bit rough. Like you can hear the genre, but it's not that polished. And with these tools, I think that's a better use for it. And I think we'll also see it uh, a lot. I mean, the data that's available from charts and also just the way people interact with music, it's massive. So these tools could I, th I think they're going to play a big part in predicting hit songs or trends or even, like I say, giving out reports like, all right, this song could be a hit, but considering what's going on right now in the scene, you should change this and then it's going to... So I think in terms of AI and music production, that's going to be a big player. Yeah. Right. Now let's go back a bit in in time because i'm very yeah. curious about how you got into music in the first place and playing the trumpet and became a, a multi-instrumentalist and a recording artist producer so where did yeah. it all start for you mm, it started when i was about seven years old seven eighth i don't know i started playing a trumpet i was living in a small village where it was kind of a normal thing that if you're four years old you're gonna have swimming lessons then if you complete the swimming lessons, you're going to do sports, mostly football. I wasn't really into football. And then after two years, you're going to choose an instrument because half the people in the village are playing an instrument. It's different nowadays in the same village, but that's when I picked the trumpet. And I actually, I wanted to be a drummer, but they told me, yeah, everyone wants to be a drummer. So the first few years, you'll just be knocking on wood with a stick because there's not enough uh, instruments to play on. So then I figured, well, let's let's just play the trumpet. Honestly, until it arrived, I wasn't really aware of what it was. I just thought, yeah, trumpet sounds cool. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. And then um, I started playing it. And in the beginning, I was horrible at it because I was really frustrated that um, I couldn't make it sound nice. Because if you're playing the trumpet, it's very specific with your lips and all that. And then after a while, I figured out how to do it and then everything went really fast like um i started playing in orchestras when i was pretty young so that was exciting 
Um, and then I wanted to study classical music. I think it was about 12 years old when, when uh, 12 years old when I decided uh, I wanted to do that. But then um, when I was a bit older, I had a look at these universities. And to me, it was all very straightforward. Like I like improvising and playing weird stuff, but I couldn't do it when I was studying classical music because the thing with classical music is you need to be really good at playing exactly what's there. So then I got into DJing because everyone got into DJing and um, I started producing music and then I had a problem because I got quite a lot of gigs, but the music I made didn't sound like anything I was playing. Like I was doing all this experimental stuff. And then when I was DJing, I was playing house music because I loved house music. But when I was making music, I didn't feel like making house music. So then there was a bit of a disconnect. And then after a while, I decided to just travel for half a year and leave my laptop and everything at home so I couldn't make any music. And I would just uh, bring a field recorder and just walk around cities and nature with my headphones on all day just to be more aware of what sound actually meant to me. And so that was great. And then when I came home, then everything went really fast because I finally knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to incorporate more natural sounds and everything. It was like starting over again. And then I think... A year later, I changed my project to Epson Chronicles because Epson Chronicles had been kind of a side project and my main project was called Dirty Denzel. But it was because I got into house music, I was like, yeah, it's going to be a fun name when I'm playing Dutch house. But I also wanted to do visuals. And whenever I would show up at a museum, they were like, yeah, that's cool and all. But what, what's up with the Dirty Denzel thing? So then I changed it to Epson Chronicles and a year later I got a publishing deal and then everything just fell into place, I guess. Yeah. What a wonderful story. Yeah. And that <laughs> deep yeah. journey into sound um, that, that helped you, you know, focus then on, on Epson Chronicles. Fantastic. Thank you. And you, you mentioned there talking, um, you're talking about museums and so on. I know that you've had installations and, and so on in, in various places can you tell us a bit more about those yeah it actually uh, started off as kind of a fake it till you make it i i was starting with visuals and i figured whoa this is really cool and while i'm not uh, being able to do music full-time i might as well do some visuals on the side to support myself but i wasn't really good at it so what i did was at first i started uh, writing letters to uh, museums like okay I have this ID and I think it would be an amazing installation and then some of them would say yeah cool let's go and then uh, there was a bit of panic because I didn't really know how to pull it off but this pushed me to learn a lot in a really short amount of time and every time it it worked so what I did was I had this installation at the Dutch Film Festival which was really cool but Anyone can apply with an installation. There's a lot of installations. So I figured if I get into this, I can use this to grow and network. And then, yeah, it kind of went loose. Like the, the next uh, museum I was at was in Saudi Arabia, then one in Korea. And I think just because there was stuff happening around this Epson Chronicles project, they all wanted to do something with it. And then after a while, I took a break because... My visuals were everywhere, but 
because everything went so fast, I felt like the accomplishments were greater than the actual material, if that makes sense. So then for half a year, I really dove into it. And uh, when, yeah, then I was satisfied with my installations and visuals. And I mean, there's still a lot to learn and a lot to grow, but at least I'm not feeling uh, insecure now when I'm publishing this work. So yeah, and there's some, I, I never really made a name for myself in the Netherlands, even though I'm living here, because it's quite a specific scene and the few people that are doing uh, new media installation, stuff like that, they're so good that it's really hard to get there. And other countries, it's often not a lot of this technical installation. So it was easier for me to start there, but I'm happy to say I'm finally getting some exhibitions in the Netherlands as well. So yeah, I'm just excited for all that. Yeah. That's a really inspiring story about being brave and honing your craft. Um, one of your projects that's particularly um, fascinated me is something you did for, I believe, some other artists, and it's an augmented reality face mask. Tell yeah, us a yeah, bit yeah. about that. Yeah, it's, uh, I think, if it's the easiest way to explain is augmented reality. Whenever I talk about it, people are like, yeah, what's that? It's with the glasses, right? Well, that's virtual reality. And the thing with augmented reality is you put a layer of something on top of the real world. So instead of putting on a VR, uh, VR glasses and diving into fantasy world, you're just seeing the real world with something digital over it. And I think it was three years ago, uh, Facebook released this better version of Spark. It was a software you could use to make your own Instagram filters. And the great thing about it was that whenever you published a filter, people that followed you could use it, but their followers would see it as well. And then they could start using it. So I was like, wow, that's crazy amount of reach. So I had this friend who was a festival photographer and uh, he had a lot of contacts in the hardstyle scene. And I wasn't really... Uh, I was into the kind of music, but I didn't know anyone there. So I figured he has this network and he's a great designer. I'll do the technical part. Let's work together and get this started. Because I figured if if you have 20,000 followers and a thousand of them are going to use this filter, then these all these people, they're going to share it to their networks as well. And it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be great. That's what I thought. So at first, everyone... I messaged, I just DM'd them on Instagram and most of them were excited, but whenever we were talking about the price, they would be like, ah, can't you do it for free? I'll give you a bit of exposure. But I really thought this would be the next big thing. Um, so we held on to this idea. And then finally, the one I put in my portfolio, these were the first people we could actually work with on a more professional level. And they had a new song coming out. So we made this filter where uh, they had these face masks. It was part of the branding. Uh, unfortunately, half a year later, everyone was wearing face masks. But um, we figured let's build a filter where if people make a video of themselves, they they are wearing this face mask with the branding on there. And then they can hear a 20 second preview of the new song. So that was a great marketing tool because everyone was like, well, everyone had this mask at home, but 
yeah, for some reason they really like to have it digitally. So they were making selfies and videos and sharing it to the stories. And then all the followers would hear the song and yeah, that was great. So that's, uh, that's kind of how it started. And then after that, we did some more filters and it was just in general, an interesting way uh, to think about marketing in yeah this age of everyone being on the internet and it being hard um, to push your music. So, yeah. What a great idea. Is it still available? Can we try it out? I, th I think it is. I'm not sure. I haven't uh, spoken with him in a while. I'll, I'll look it up. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Now, along this amazing journey from playing the trumpet in uh, your home village through to um, AI and these filters we were just speaking about, who's been inspiring you um, musically, technologically and so on? Yeah, um, technologically, uh, one of my teachers, actually, I, I studied interaction, uh, sonic interaction design. Um, so it's basically, yeah, using sound as a technical tool to evoke interaction. And this man, he made the, the wildest things. Like he worked a lot in uh, game audio. So I focused on that for a while because I figured whatever I'm going to do in, in games, there's, it's always where the newest things happen, like all the technical developments. And, um, I, I spent a lot of time not being at college because I just wanted to learn all this. And he really gave me a space to do that. Like he would be like, all right, you're not gonna, um, work on this, uh, assignment for school, then at least work on something and show me what you've done for the past few months. And this really helped me to go network and learn a lot of things. So yeah, for the technical side, this man, his name is Sander. He, uh, yeah, meant a lot to me in my uh, college years. And I think musically wise, there's this act called XNG. I believe they're from the States. And around the time I started traveling, I was kind of stuck because I wanted to do something cool and music production, something that hasn't been done before, but it was getting harder and harder to dig through SoundCloud and find something exciting. And these guys, what they did was, I think they started out doing ambient music until they figured out for a live setting, ambient wasn't really working, uh, at least not the scene they were in. Uh, I really like ambient music, by the way. But what they did was, uh, for example, there was one of these songs that started out really orchestral. So I was fascinated from the beginning, obviously. And then the drop was coming in. And what I expected was a massive uh, brass hit. But instead of doing that, they did a very long buildup. And then instead of going all in, the beginning of the drop was really quiet. And then after a while, all of a sudden it got really loud. So to me, I was like, I don't even know if I liked the music in the beginning, but I was amazed um, by how they broke every rule of music production, like the panning they used, the way they mix their songs. It was so out of this world. And then there was a massive inspiration because it was kind of, they set me free. I was like, okay, they're doing music professionally. I don't need to follow the dance music rules. So yeah, that's been great. I've been in, touch with him a few times and then we talked a bit about music and these guys are just always innovating and yeah it's great wonderful yeah and what's coming up next for you 
this year? Mm, this year, a lot of new music. Um, in the, the end of 2021, I had a lot of sessions and all of that is finished now. So we're signing tracks and working on some more materials. So first of all, a lot of music, but also a lot of uh, art installations because last year I mainly did visuals, which in the end is pretty 2D material. I mean, you're playing it on screen or on the wall with a beamer. And um, I really want to do art installations again. So the first one is actually, I'm really excited about it because it's it's one of the most um, well-known uh, museums in the Netherlands. And I can't say the name yet, but the installation I'm going to do there, it's going to be um, like massive table and there's uh, grass on there. So it's like a natural setting. And on top of it, it's a lot of um, glass balls with water in it. And if the visitors touch the water, if they put their hands in there, then it's going to generate a sound. So they're going to be part of the soundscape. And I'm really excited about this one because I haven't seen uh, audio installations in a while and I haven't done them myself that often. So yeah, I'm really going to focus on the, the technical side again because I've been creating a lot of things. But after a while, you're so comfortable with doing all these crazy creative things that the technical side needs to develop as well, right? So hopefully it's going to be a lot of exhibitions and yeah. Sounds great. And talking of the technical side, have you got any advice or tips for people who want to get into music tech and AI? Where should people start, yeah. do you think? Yeah, definitely. I think the, the most important part is not looking at it like, ah, oh, there's this crazy technical stuff I want to do as well, but it all seems so hard. And how, how do I get into this? Because I'm not a good programmer. I'm not good at a lot of things, but what I like to do is just looking up tools and then let's see what works for me. Right. I, there's one tool called uh, Max MSP. Um, when I first started using it, I was looking up videos from people with it, the wildest stuff with it. So I was really disappointed because after a week, I still wasn't able to do any cool things. But then I figured maybe it should be the other way around. Like If you want to get into this, let's think about what you want to create and not what other people are creating. And maybe, and then just see how this tool is going to help you achieve it. So if you want to make an AI tool, then just start with a tool that you can download and just feed with data. And then if you need something custom, you can take it a step further. And there's a lot of information online. You can look up videos. So I think that's the best thing you could do. Not look at all the crazy stuff that has been done because you can do a lot of cool stuff for people without crazy technical knowledge. So just look at what you want to create and which tools would fit for that. And of course, ask questions on the internet. On Reddit, there's a lot of useful groups where people can uh, ask anything about AI and also on the creative side. So yeah. Thank you so much, Danny from Absent Chronicles for sharing your work, your journey and some ideas and tips that I'm sure will be very useful for other people as well. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks a lot. You can find out more about Danny's work at absentchronicles.com.
You can check out more features and interviews on the Kit Monsters site, and we're also on Twitter at Kit Monsters and Instagram. Thanks so much for tuning in. Please like and subscribe to the podcast. Synthetic voice design by Birds on Mars, Sol, and Krach.ai. Kit Monsters Music, Impact Forces Podcast.